I am no maester to quote history at you, your grace. Swords have been my life, not books. But every child knows that the Targaryens have always danced too close to madness. Your father was not the first. King Jaehaerys once told me that madness and greatness are two sides of the same coin. Every time a new Targaryen is born, he said, the gods toss the coin in the air, and the world holds its breath to see how it will land. Welcome to 2C1C, a Game of Thrones podcast founded in 2010 by myself, Will Lentz, Greg Atkinson, and Brett Zeiler. Now hosted by myself, Daryl Lloyd, and Kyle Vansel, with guest appearances by past hosts and more. Many thanks to GRRM and FFG for making this possible, Card Game DB for our hosting, and Josh Woodward for the Creative Commons music you hear in this episode. Welcome to Season 4.5. Well, that quote has to be one of my favorites from the series... Yeah, it's a pretty awesome one, and who knows? Did it make Did it make it into the TV show? I don't remember now. I feel like it did, or maybe maybe someone else said it. I, it was definitely sell me in the books, right? Uh, I, I feel like maybe it might have been Tyrion on the show, or Cersei. Uh, Cersei has a similar quote in the book. She says it somewhere else, but it's not quite the full thing that Sell Me says. Yeah, no, I. I, I... I feel like I did see it on on the show. May, they may have moved it to Jorah instead, though. Oh, I, I guess I could see that. I feel like I can recall hearing it in a in a male voice. So if they were gonna move it anywhere, I could I would most see it as Jorah. So I don't. Sure. Know. But welcome, dear leaders, <laughs> leaders. Welcome, dear listeners, to another fine episode of Two Champs and a Chump. Though it's not really that fine, I suppose, without Brett. He just he just really encapsulates that phrase in a way that I cannot. <laughs> Something about the intonation of his voice. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, no one knows who I am yet. Yeah, I was about to say, so this week, of course, I'm here, Will, but I have a new guest host with, with me this week. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, right? Uh, that, that, that would be correct. Uh, <laughs> I'm Dave. Uh, I'm from New York. Uh, I post on the board sometimes as Vapad. I play a lot of Targaryen, and uh, I spend a lot of time arguing with Aaron Glazer. <laughs> sometimes online, sometimes personally, I assume. Uh, yep, absolutely. Well, I'm glad, by the way, that you clarified that that's a long A. I've, I've uh, long wondered if that should be long or short. Uh, I think at, at some point I actually had to look up uh, uh, how to pronounce it. it it's actually it's an obscure Star Wars term for one of the seven forms of lightsaber combat that I read. Really? When I was yeah, uh, um, expanded universe stuff. Something I read a long time ago. Made it made it a forum handle on a Star Wars board a long time ago, and realized I had no idea how to say it. That's interesting. Yeah, because uh, at one point when I'd wondered if it was a short A, I'd thought, no, he his name can't possibly really be vapid. So no, I, th- I think it's Vapod. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But whatever floats. Huh. So uh, Star Wars is well, I guess at the time that you joined the the Thrones community was considerably further away from Thrones than it is now since there's the the LCG. So 
What what brought you from that neck of the woods into Thrones? Uh, it, well, I got into the I got into like many people. I guess I got into the books first. Um, I played I played Magic the Gathering as a kid. I played Decipher's Star Wars game uh, as a slightly older kid uh, and loved it. I, I still think that's possibly the uh, the best you know card game of this kind that's that's ever existed, um, or at least the one I've had. Uh, you know, I, I had so much fun with it. Um, and then, you know, it got expensive. Chasing rares was not, uh, was not a thing. Money, having money was not so much a thing. Uh, and I swore off card games until, um, a friend of mine pointed out to me that, you know, we both like Thrones. The Thrones LCG used a different model. I wouldn't have to chase rares. You can just kind of buy the cards one pack at a time. You know exactly what you're getting and you're getting play sets. And I still resisted, uh, until he eventually bought me a core set. Uh, and forced me to own cards. Um, wow. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, I found uh, I found the New York City meta on uh, on uh, Meetup.com. I went to a couple of meetups and, and, and just got hooked very quickly. Cool. I had not heard of Meetup.com before, though. I suppose uh, the use is rather self-explanatory from the name. I don't know if it. Uh I, I think it's nationwide, although I suppose it's possible. It's only a New York thing, um, and we don't. Our group doesn't even really use it anymore. Uh, we we exist kind of mostly on Facebook now, but uh, it is what it sounds like. It's uh, you, you, you create an account and you can find groups within your interests, uh, and you know, board games and card games kind of have many many subsets, and, and Game of Thrones LCG was one of them. Cool. You know, I'm I'm just curious. Uh just throwing out a little tidbit for our listeners, um, you know, since you've kind of come on the scene, I think a lot of a lot of folks would definitely say you're uh, you're a great player. I think you're very well known for playing Targ at this point. But just in a general sense, I'm curious what's what's the most important thing that you have learned uh, about playing Game of Thrones? Uh card advantage is winning. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a cliche and a mantra at this point, but, uh, I, it, it it really does seem to be true. Uh, the more, the more of your deck you see, the more of the more cards you have at your disposal, uh, like many other games, but you know, it, it, it fits the mold. If you, if you have the cards, if you have the cards, you're going to come out on top. There you have it, folks. Well, you know, let's uh, let's get down to brass tacks here, so to speak. Uh, listeners will definitely know that uh, we've been working on a series here uh, on a hypothetical refresh of the game because, hey, that sounds way nicer than a rotation or a reboot. Um, and we've been we've been kicking around some different ideas and working on some decks. So uh, this week we uh, we had an email chain going, of course, uh, discussing some things behind the scenes. So Aaron was involved in that chain uh, as we constructed the decks for this week uh, and figured that stuff out. Kyle, of course, is on hiatus right now because he's gonna be married. Um, well. If you're listening to this on Friday, on release day, he'll be married tomorrow. Congratulations, Kyle. Yeah. 
So props to uh, props to him. So Aaron had some input in this, uh, but we've also been kicking around some other hypothetical uh, rules, uh, issues, changes, uh, tweaks to the game we might like to see. And I had a couple that I wanted that I wanted to kind of spring on uh, on Dave. See if we could kind of work through some of the implications here and see if they would be reasonable. All right. So uh, the first one was inspired uh, by actually teaching a noob uh, last night. Uh, it's actually a friend of Kyle Vansel's, uh from college who happens to be living down here. He wants to learn how to play uh, in time for the uh, Red Wedding tournament that Kyle and Danny are hosting before their wedding. So anyway, we're we're working through everything, and we get to uh, dominance uh, one turn there, and he starts to try and claim two power uh, because he has a two-claim plot revealed. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I kind of had to stop and explain, no, no, it's only ever one power unless you have some other card that changes that. Uh, the claim is just for challenges, but I got to thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, that actually feels incredibly intuitive to me. Like, why have I not ever thought of that before, or, or like heard of other people talking about that, or you know, accidentally learning the game that way, or something? So I don't know. Would would it be too strange, or just too uh, too simple of a fix to be interesting to uh, make your dominance claim equal to your regular claim? Well, you, uh, you, you classify it as a, as, as a fix. Is it broken? Um, what are your, if I can turn this back around, what are your thoughts on dominance as it exists now? Honestly, I just feel it's a little too boring. It's just there. You know, it's it's a reward, I suppose, for overextending or having just utter dominance of the board. And I, I don't say the, that or as being an equivalent or it, it could be you know, either yeah. one. I mean, it seems it seems like most of the time it's not an utter dominance thing. It's not like I have so many characters that I can I can leave some standing and still do all my challenges. Uh, at a certain point, it starts to feel it starts to feel almost random. It's like, well, I happen to have the extra gold, and certainly good players may may think about marshaling with that in mind. I have to win this dominance, but. Part of me almost almost could see the dominance phase going away entirely um, because it it just kind of adds in this element of uh, uh, of injecting extra power really for for for, for no apparent reason at times. Yeah, um, I agree but, with that. Uh, I mean, on the on the other side of the coin, if we're going to be claiming power for dominance, I could certainly get behind having that related to the claim value on your plot card. Just like everything else is, um, uh, that seems like a that seems like a per- perfectly intuitive thing. Uh, the, the implications of it, though, uh, are that m- it's probably going to accelerate the game more than slowing it down. If if in a standard plot deck, right, you have one zero claim plot in Valor and one two claim plot, then it, then it then it on average will stay about the same. Your your average claim will be one. Right. But if you're if you're playing high claim, you're getting really a double benefit uh, with little drawback. You're getting you're getting the card advantage of 
of the higher intrigue claim and the higher military claim. And if you can pull off a dominance win, you're going to claim power faster. That that might get too strong. That might snowball into something. Um, I mean, you, you, you could almost, for balance sake, talk about something, talk about the inverse, talking about the amount of power your power you claim for dominance is, is almost if you had a two claim plot, you would you, you would claim uh, that doesn't really make any sense. You would claim nothing, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I would worry about a snowball effect if, if you're getting the benefit of two claim plus plus a bigger a bigger bounty for dominance. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I hadn't hadn't sat down to think too much about how that could snowball, though. I could also see that setting up some some possibilities where people might uh, might really actually have to consider whether they send someone on a challenge or leave them up for dominance. But if you've already got the two claim, you know, the equivalent advantage of actually winning that challenge is probably more, unless you're winning the the game off of that dominance power. You know, it's it's just it's just tough. I I think you're right cuz It might also though, I mean, I'm sorry. I, it might be an opportunity to 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 look from a design point of view at two claim plots uh and and really build in more of a drawback. Um, I feel like many two claim plots, the draw, the only drawback is maybe low gold or no, or low initiative. Right. Um, the only ones I can think of that actually have a, a drawback drawback is something like twist of fate where you're getting, you know, you're getting really good stats all around, good to great stats on the gold. Um, but you're, you're playing a risky plot because of its text, which can't be blanked. Uh, it might be interesting from a design standpoint if they if they implement those kinds of of drawbacks more on on higher claim plots so that uh, it's more of a choice because I, I I do think it would be almost a no brainer that you're going to start uh, trying to accelerate your win condition and your your board and card advantage position by playing two claim plots if uh, if dominance is related that way. Yeah, I I think I agree, and you know part of that just clicked with. Uh, with me because dominance feels like such a also ran at the moment. And I, I admit, I also hadn't thought about the option about possibly just eliminating it. Uh, it would feel a little weird to me at this point after uh, so many years just not having that phase at all anymore. But, you know, just overall something's lacking there and... You know, I could see an argument that it's it's not entirely justified in in being there. That is, um, I think I do remember when you talked to when you interviewed Eric Lang. I, I believe you asked him when it when it was implemented, and he said it. I think he said it was one of the first things. Like it was in the game from the very very first draft, if I'm remembering the interview right. And and that did surprise me because it did seem like an odd. Like maybe it's something you add because you want to accelerate the game. Maybe yeah. games were taking too long. But yeah, I, I've always I've always thought it was a little clunky. Yeah, yeah, or or it makes you wonder if it if there was more to it originally, and you know maybe dominance the concept existed, but maybe it was too much, and they pared it down uh, as design maybe used, went. Maybe it used to relate to the claim value on your plot card. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? We'll have to get Eric back on the show. Yeah, I I def- definitely thought uh, it would be interesting to get him on again sometime and see if we could pick his brain on things that he would tweak about the game now if he were to redo it, but yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess that that's probably gets him the subject <laughs> matter he could not talk about. NDA, NDA. Yeah. 
Um, okay, well, that that probably plays out the claim and dominance uh, idea well enough. But I've got another one that hit me. All right. And this one, the more I think about it and, and try to work out the implications in my head, the more I love this idea. Uh, and enough so that I talked to a couple of the local guys down here about it uh, last night while we were training the newbie. And uh, they want to sit down and play this way uh, sure. next week and kind of test it out. On the edge of my couch cushions here. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> who knows? I could see other people not not caring uh, about it like me. But, okay, so a little bit of a preface, of course. Conquest, uh, Warhammer Conquest, is the big new hotness right now, right? And, well, of course, we have borderline players or people that used to play that I know, or used to play Thrones, that is. Yes. Uh, that are jumping on the conquest bandwagon and raving about it and the, this and that and I mean it happens they did it with Netrunner and and Star Wars as well so you know it's just that new shiny thing but it, it did at least convince me to sit down finally watch through the the tutorial videos on FFG's site I broke down and bought a couple core sets so I could at least you know build some decks play some games and get a feel for it. Um, and when I was was watching that video, I just kept thinking, um, y- you know, I'm not 100% sold on all the mechanics, but there's so much give and take. Like, overall, the game feels, uh, just the base rules feel more dynamic than Thrones, which is saying something when Thrones has things like plots and three different challenges, right? Sure. So I was kind of trying to to think about what that was and it and it clicked especially when i uh had made this post on card game db and i posted on the facebook page about you know what really drew people in originally and several people uh sorry not several but i think it, one person uh if i recall had mentioned that the uh simultaneous turns actually pulled them in instead of like magic yep. or heck even cthulhu or star wars or netrunner sure. or whatever um and it, I got to thinking about those phases again in Thrones, and we both reveal plots at the same time, right? We go to the draw phase, we both draw at the same time. We go to dominance, and we both count for dominance, and whoever wins gets it, right? But we do challenges one at a time? We do, we do challenges, and we marshal one at a time as if they were two separate player turns. Okay. And I thought about that, and it, of course it started with challenges, and I thought... Oh, how awesome would it maybe be if we alternated challenges? You could still do them in any order. Whoever won initiative and his first player still gets the first challenge. But say I military you, once we resolve that, then you can intrigue me and whatever. And I backed it up and thought, okay, you know, same thing could work in marshalling. I, you know, marshal a castle on the rock. You marshal Robert Baratheon. I marshal a moneylender. You marshal, you know, I don't know, Stannis, just just throwing out ballparks there uh, in, until we have consecutive passes in those phases, just like, uh, you know, we do now on just regular actions. And the more I think about that idea, the more I love it. Well, it certainly makes initiative mean less. Um, the ability... Just at a point in the game, by the way, where I think initiative means more than it ever has, at least since I've been playing. Um, uh, initiative now feels really pretty important. 
uh, for a lot of decks or a lot of dynamic situations. Whereas in, in the past, you know, I, I, I definitely had built plot decks where I, ca- I cared about gold, I cared about gold. initiative, eh, wayside. So if you're, if you're alternating in the challenges phase, or even, well, let's stick with the challenges phase at first. If you're alternating in the challenges phase, there's less incentive than there is, right, if you can, if you know you, you want to go first and you can swing away at your opponent before they can really fire back at you at all. Um, right. And, and, and I thought to kind of combat that, it would, you would probably need to design some more cards that have particular effects if you are first player to, to leverage that a little more. Things like the um, that, that that new Shadows boat out of Greyjoy. What's it called? The Farwind Explorer. Right, right. Like Stuff that. like that, or a, in a similar vein, there was one in the CCG that was just a location that sat on the board that could cancel something if you were first player, uh, rather than you know coming out of shadows. Um, or you know, say it's a character that uh, I don't I don't know gains deadly and renown if you're first player. Right. Whatever it might be, you could you could come up with a wealth of effects uh, that would let you fiddle with that. Sure, um, there are definitely marshalling implications too. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to drop a newly made lord after my opponent took his first action, um, as opposed to having him play with all his reducers before I can marshal a character. Right. Um, uh, especially with Heron Hall now, being able to uh, play a Heron Hall. Uh, as uh, as the second action of the phase, if I'm the second player, and then start canceling reducers, being able to play a character to kill to Heron Hall uh, to to screw with the marshalling math um, in terms of the economy. Uh, Neil I mean, is another issue uh, that I'd kind of been trying to work through in my head. I think in the end, sure. Neil it, at least would come out about equivalent. Uh, right now, it's it's so. Feast or famine, so to speak. If if you're playing Neil and you're the second player, you're in you know hog heaven, kneeling whatever's best on their board yep. every time. And Bear is in a similar boat with Mel's favor now that they uh, they want to be going second to grab you know the, the whatever big best thing you play is. Uh, if you alternate, you're risking the consecutive pass. Right, right, exactly. So then maybe you're kneeling something less optimal. Maybe the Bear player drops. Fat Bob, you know, to to fake you out. You go ahead, use your castle and kneel to lock him down. Then they drop the Knight of Flowers, yep. who is able to to rock your face. I feel in the end it would it would balance out pretty well for those type of marshalling control effects. Um, do you think it would make the game more difficult to play, more technical? A game that's already pretty technical. Uh, I wonder if it would create just scenarios where you have more complication uh, than we currently do. Gosh, maybe not. I mean, maybe not yeah. complication. Maybe I. Th- I think it would reward skill uh, in challenge phase even more, as far as which challenge matters right now. What can I afford to send, say? in a faint attack to try to get them to kneel out. And then the opponent, of course, is going, I think, going to have to um, judge much more carefully yeah. what they can commit to defense and keep around for their next attack. And uh, even 
even in the marshalling phase, I mean, one of, one of the most common phrases I think you he- that you'll hear at a casual game night is during marshalling, the active player says after marshalling like three or four things, hang on, can I do that differently? And they just want to kneel a different reducer or use a C for something right. to use gold for. And that would just, you know, marshalling correctly is a skill in and of itself. And so it's one that I'll, I'll be the first person to say I'm not particularly good at. Right. Uh, and I, I feel like it would get even harder if your opponent is taking actions in between, uh, right, I drop a C and now it's your action and you can drop a newly made Lord and blow up my, my street of sisters. Uh, and now, you know, it, it definitely does reward good players, but it also from, from a different perspective, it, it potentially increases the, the amount of, uh, effect that, I don't quite want to call it luck, but I'm going to say luck has in the game. It's bad luck for me that you have a newly made lord in hand. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, another more another surprises, way. Of, say it more surprises. Another way of wording that is, it increases the interaction. It increases the interaction by by by, by increasing the the number of surprises uh, that your opponent will be able to throw at you. Well, they they could have more surprises. Well, semantics here. I would just say that their stuff is more is able to be more surprising because of the yes. increased interaction opportunity. You just said it better than me. Okay. <laughs> um, which, you know, God, I, I can see some pluses and minuses to it. I know there are other games that have uh, handled that. Of course, Conquest is working that way right now. Um, Doomtown in the past uh, worked that way and now Reloaded uh, that came out works the same way where you alternate those uh, type of marshalling actions. Um, it, it's a tough call, but I I definitely feel like interaction and the, the fluid nature of the turn would go up quite a bit, which makes me lean toward it. It's something I would certainly be excited to test. Uh, it sounds, it, you know, it definitely sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Um I'm, I'm fairly certain you. That, that's another question that you asked Eric, at least as, as, it, really? uh, as it pertained to the challenges phase. See, I've completely forgotten now. I swear, I swear that there was a question that that asked, "Was it ever like that? Did it ever alternate? Given that every other phase works the same way?" And I'm pretty sure he said no, but I don't remember anything else beyond the About answer. Why? And, and, and I could even be wrong that the answer was no. It makes me want to go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, exactly. Me too. <laughs> uh, that was uh, that was during episode 100, right? Yeah. Uh, the Megasode? Uh, yeah. It's my memory. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as far as the challenges goes, I was also thinking about some other implications with that. Because I was, of course, thinking of this at first in the Joust setting because I the idea that initially sparked it was from Conquest, which right now is just 1v1. What a disaster would this be in melee? Well, (laughs) that's that's the thing. And I know that a lot of folks, I'm not one of them, I love melee, but I know a lot of folks are skeptical because of different scenarios that are possible in melee. And I thought, oh, this could be a huge mess in melee trying to track that. But bear with me. The more I think about it, the more I think it's a boon for melee as well. One item is player engagement. I do something, it goes to the next player who does something, who goes to the next player who does something, and it rotates through instead of me as last player sitting here 
for three other marshalling phases, twiddling my thumbs. Or playing Candy Crush on your cell phone if you're uh, Jim McGovern at uh, Gen Con last year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which helps keep people focused because I that's one of the biggest problems when I've been playing Melee with my friends is I, rather than con- collusion, the, the Midwesterners down here are really hard to keep on task uh, because of that dead time. And I think you eliminate much more dead time if you do that, which is a boon for the format. So I, I, th- I, th- I think in most situations, at least to me, the time doesn't feel so dead. If, I, if, I, if I'm playing a competitive melee game, even if I'm that fourth player, uh, I'm, I'm, I still have to be pretty engaged to watch what else is going on. I mean, you know, I, I, I joke about Jim. He, in that game, he was he was completely irrelevant because he was the one control player where two siege players were rushing at each other and 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 he he didn't matter for a round and and it was kind of a failing of the game. Um, but in most situations, you know, that last player is tracking what's going on. He potentially has responses in hand. Uh, maybe he wants to drop in a you know a lethal counterattack into a challenge that's not even his. Sure. Um, and, uh, and you still could in this setting. You don't lose any of that opportunity. No, you don't. You you just gain a little bit more engagement, I would think. Uh, I would generally think that's right. That sounds... It sounds like you would gain more engagement. And I don't necessarily believe it causes problems. Um, I, th- I, th- I think it increases the dynamics, uh, which uh, which certainly doesn't sound like a bad thing. No, I think it's good. And there's another problem uh, with dynamics uh, that I think a lot of people have a pr- have issues with that I think this can go a long way towards combating. Not necessarily eliminating, but combating, and that's the kind of collusion issue, right? Officially, it's against the rules, but people still wonder about this and that and, and you know, ha- have issues when they watch things. Okay. So let's take the classic scenario here. I don't want to sit here and, and bash anybody, but by now, most everyone in the community listening to the show is familiar with the Eric and Corey situation from Worlds a couple years ago, right? This is the Eric and Corey, not the Eric and Dennis? Right. Okay. The the, the one where uh, Eric gave the game to, to Corey by letting all of Corey's challenges through unopposed yep. and so on, right? Yep. Uh, I just have to keep my DC controversy straight. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, you know, no no commentary on, on any of that other than that scenario would be far less likely in under this type of rules change. It's been long enough now I don't remember the other players' board states at all now. But hypothetically speaking, Corey could have made one challenge at Eric Undefended and then Three the other, other players could have gone after Corey. Like they, there would have been a rotation of challenges in between each one Corey tried to do. Sure. Which I think is good uh, to eliminate that type of possibility. Even I hate to say uh, that it would bring Greyjoy down because I I love that unposed deck type. But I know a lot of folks also that don't really dig. Hey, you're the last player. You just get a bunch of unopposed challenges against. Everybody else that knelt out. Yeah. Um, I can't, as I sit here, think of a, think of a downside to it, um, other than to generally say it might feel more chaotic. 
um, right. which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it certainly fits with the with the theme of what melee is accomplishing. This 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 almost chaotic environment of of every man for himself in the uh, you know on the sand. But um, it sounds like it could be a blast. Yeah, like it it's hooked me enough, and a couple of the guys when I mentioned it last night, uh, the next time we're able to get together, we're gonna play a couple games with it and uh, and see how it goes. You know, I, I'm I, I'm gonna bring us off on a on a slight tangent if that's okay. Yeah, uh, there might be some <laughs> cough, Alex Hines cough, uh, who might argue that if you're gonna refresh the game, maybe you you use this as an opportunity to extract influence from it. Uh, because the dual resource resource curve is clunky, uh, and it feels odd to have Targ be the influence house, and to a lesser extent Martell, and it really being irrelevant for for really most everything else. Uh, what would you think about? Obviously, we didn't do this, but about pulling influence reliant cards and pushing existing cards that don't use influence at all, and promoting you know design space for uh, to, to get away from a second resource, a secondary resource. Yeah, and and you know there there are definitely other people uh, like say Rings who uh, would advocate hard for the removal of influence, but I personally like it. Uh, I like I, I think there are definitely effects uh, from a thematic sort of standpoint that make less sense to me to be pay X gold to do Y than something more abstract like influence. Um, and I personally kind of like the management of the, the resource systems. I mean, I came from Magic where I was uh, managing potentially five different resource systems, basically, sure. uh, with the colors. And, you know, of course, you know, you know the same having, having played yourself. So two does not seem extravagant to me. What I, what I think the bigger issue is is just a design issue in the cards that are released where a couple houses get, you know, half their cards, I'm exaggerating a little, that care about influence, and then the other houses don't get cards that care about influence. And I, I think that's a design issue uh, where I would, I would rather see that spread out more. I'm with you on that one, uh, particularly as a target player. I, I love influence. Uh, I think it's fun to, 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 it's a fun challenge to build in a second resource card. It's rewarding when it allows you to play maybe, uh, so, so some bigger or flashier effects because they cost the influence. Maybe they're harder to cancel as well. Right. Uh, so, th- th- you know, th- there's definitely a benefit to rising to the challenge, working it in. And I, and I, I do think the other houses should, you know, it'd be great if they had an opportunity to use it in, uh, in you know other dynamic ways, yeah, and and even if the other house has got uh you know a couple more cards like I mean double bluff is a long time favorite uh, yeah, event of sure. mine and and giving Lannister that flexibility to do influence or gold on that is you know I think pretty thematic and deadly for them, um, but kind of kind of gives them some better options if they don't want to play the influence they don't have to. But if Lanny wants to try out the Knights of the Hollow Hill build, wants to maybe throw in some double bluffs, they did get Walk of Shame, you know. And Gregor, Sir Sir Gregor. Yeah, yeah, Gregor, like, it's a house, I, you know, that build's kind of fallen by the wayside lately. But I did like that, you know, for a while, that was 
a viable option uh, to explore in another non-influence here, I'm air-quoting, house. Right. I like it. Yeah. So there you go, listeners. Uh, Sound off and let us know if that's a great or terrible idea. But uh, along with that, we've also got some new decks to throw out at you. Yeah, this week we thought we would change it up a little bit. Um, We've already spent a little time on that discussion, and we are trying to go ahead and hit two houses uh, this episode for our refreshed dual deck uh, corset experiment. We're going to touch on Baratheon and Targaryen this week. So, you know, going through the corset and kind of some of our reasoning there takes up some time, as you've definitely noticed from the prior episodes. So this week, we think we're going to streamline it a little bit. We're going to mainly hit just the core boxes for each of those. Um, And, you know, mention a couple kind of highlights uh, out of the reprint pack, and then post the full lists uh, afterward with the episode, so we can make things a little more manageable. Sounds good. Okay. So, um, Dave, would you rather we start with... uh, your kind of pet house, so to speak, or would you rather end on a high note? Uh, let's end on the high note, because if I, uh, if I talk about Barra while I'm particularly tired, I'm going to forget things that are obvious. Okay, so you're hoping... Uh, let's start with Barra. Okay. <laughs> Ambiguous way of saying something that was very simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay, so we've, we've got Barra here, um, and we're following that same format, one agenda, nine plots, uh, a very similar arrangement uh, of the rest of the cards. So we've got a total of uh, 81 cards there in the draw deck to kind of kind of choose from for folks so they can mix and match. And uh, I'm going to preface it by saying uh, Barra, I think, is a difficult house to uh, kind of distill down. Every time we, we made tweaks to this, we noticed we that uh, that cut a different theme down too low to feel comfortable with and uh, back and forth as, as we tweaked things. I'm fairly happy with where it is in the end, but it was tough. Yeah, Barra, I mean, Barra seems to have come a long way, at least from where it was in the in the core sets and how it's evolved over the past couple of years. It, 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 it does a lot of things well now, and it does a lot of interesting things that it didn't necessarily seem like it would be doing out of the corset and out of the uh, the Kings of the Storm box, uh, particularly with all the all the recursion that it's gotten. Yeah, that just offers up so many options for them. Just card advantage and just interesting plays. Uh, yeah, just I don't know. A lot of a uh, lot more ground is covered by them than it used to be. It's funny because when um, when I got into the game. Uh, uh, my wife and I uh, each uh, each took one house, and my friend uh, Chad and his wife Michelle each took one house. That's kind of how we got in with the corset, the four of us. So I, I, I took Targ, and she and my wife took Barra. And uh, as time went on and Barra started becoming interesting to play, it wasn't just kind of rush and stand and rush. I started taking her cards, uh, <laughs> and she started getting angry at me. So that's uh, I think it's a testament to Barra that I kind of written it off as, ah, that's a, it's boring, it's kind of one-dimensional. And then all of a sudden, it's, you know. Then you co-opt all of her stuff. Co-opted all her cool cards, and, and then she's sad. 
Well, uh, speaking of, I'd, I'd say let's let's dive right in. Uh, right. We'll probably just start at the top here, and surprisingly, the top uh, is I think where we had the least amount of dispute. The agenda we wound up settling on was Knights of the Realm, and I don't think either you or Aaron uh, naysayed that game plan at all. Nope, nope. That's uh, I mean, it's it's the one that came in the box for Kings of the Storm, and it's uh, it's it's one that that Barristol does well. It, it does well. Uh, it's neutral, so it, it would open up other opportunities for other houses uh, in the refreshed pool we, we're hypothetically looking at. And I, despite uh, someone like Alex Hines uh, thinking it's poor design, I think the, the design of Knights of the Realm, particularly on a card advantage agenda, is absolutely beautiful in the way that it polices itself. So we we will never have Knights of the Realm just go berserk the way Maesters did. Well, I think I think I think I agree. To, I, I agree with Alex uh, I, I, uh, to an extent, at least. I, I believe his suggestion for if this were redesigned or reprinted, it would say if your opponent is not running the Knights of the Realm agenda, your agenda gains or something like that. Uh, and at that point, you you don't have one sided games, but at the same time. You know, you do fear running essentially a no agenda deck, and you've lost the opportunity cost of playing an agenda if you run into, you know, if there are too many knights decks in the environment. Um, but I, I certainly think that there is, it is problematic how one sided these games can get when you have a mirror match. Right, right. It, it can certainly be rough. Um, but I do think it's a good agenda for Barra. Uh, it's a good, it's an, it's an easy agenda for, if, if, if the box is aimed at, at, at a new player in part, uh, it's an easy agenda to pick up. It's an easy, it's an easy mechanic to understand. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it seems like it could be a good starting point. Yeah. Well, um, as well, uh, following down the line here, we run into plots. And I don't recall either of you guys uh, having any issue with the plots here. Uh, particularly interesting because it looks like Baratheon will have the least variety available, really, out of uh, their nine plots. And because of the two, the two two X's. Right. Yeah. We wind we wind up with both the power of blood and the power of faith times two. Um, but they they both fit uh, some of Bear's themes. So nicely, um, you can certainly build a deck that is going to want to use both of them, um, or you know you can build some solid decks that want either or without that that overlap. Sure. So we wind up with both of them: Melisandre's scheme, loyalty money can buy, march to the wall, rule by decree, and Valor Margolis. Seems like seems like a good mix. Uh... I feel I feel like March to the Wall has the least utility for for Barra in a deck like in a deck like you could build with with these cards. Um, but even there, I mean, Barra has kind of so little removal that uh, that it could certain it could certainly be useful if you're if you're able to claim away their little guys and they're left with one big guy that you can just march him. Right, and you know, Barra even just out of what we pulled here in the box has the I think best potential to you know, not bad an eyelash at marched with yeah. the potential to follow up with Mel's scheme. Or to even uh, March Dale and, and and gain some advantage that way. Yeah, or March Dale or March a Royal Entourage and then just sure. marshal a Lord or Lady and get it back. 
you know, it, there's there's still definitely some some solid uh, synergy there. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, shall we continue on down the list here? I guess we we did definitely have some dispute over the events. Uh, they went through a couple revisions, and I stood strong on <laughs> one of the options here. Yeah, you like what I did there, Dave? I do. I uh, do. So. <laughs> Our, Perhaps you uh, saw your way to uh, keeping this event in the... <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, so the the event package for Baratheon, three or, uh, sorry, three different cards here, nine cards total, of course. Uh, we wind up with Fiery Kiss, See Who Is Stronger, and Nightmares. So See Who Is Stronger was obviously the, uh, I hope obviously by this point, the controversial one. Um, I love the card. Uh, and the, 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 I think the only controversy was what, was how playable it would be out of this kind of a box. Uh, we haven't really talked much about the, the influence base yet. And there is some influence, uh, uh, when you get into the locations. There are three Stormlands fiefdoms, there are three Narrow Seas, uh, there are three Kings Robert Chambers. And then in the characters, we have three Vanguard Lancers. Uh, so it's a, it's a possibility of 12 cards in the, it, it kind of in the pack that each provide a single influence. Um, are you going to have three on the board at the same time? I don't know, probably not reliably. Um, but it's worth noting that, um, that in the, in the Targ set across the aisle, uh, we do have the red keep, uh, as a neutral. So it's possible if you're going to mix and match a little bit, uh, that, uh, uh, that it does become, uh, it does become more reliable. Right. And, and my original thought, of course, and, and we discussed this a little was, was that players would want to pick that up and that we would include a few seeds that they would want to cross pollinate there. Dave had a, a very good point, uh, that, you know, the, the type of new players looking at these, a lot of them are going to pick it up, you know, two buddies and they're each just going to take one deck and they're going to keep that and play it. So, you know, that, that was not something I had quite thought of off the top of my head, but of course, you know, the red keeps unique. Target player's probably not playing all three copies in their deck. Probably not. So see, I, see who is stronger is definitely, a, is definitely a card I love, and it's definitely a card that opens up just some cool stuff for Barra. Uh, so whether it's, whether it's reprinted here, whether it's reprinted in a, in a reprint pack of some kind, either way, I'm, you know, I am glad to see it around, despite all the grief I give you for it. Yeah. And Fiery Kiss as well, I think, fits in similar ground. It... it uh, between those and Mel's scheme, it really cements uh, recursion as a uh, Baratheon theme uh, of their card advantage. Um, it works Shadows in, which I still say is the best edition the game has ever seen. Hmm. IMO. Um, eh, okay, m- maybe that and Gold Pools. Um, and just it is all around solid and works in the house keyword. I do like the Shadows theme. I like that we have two houses that each have a strong Shadows theme uh, target across the aisle as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think this is a particularly good pairing. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think those are those are neat. Like you said, a pairing gives uh, gives Barra some ways to try to combat uh, the Targ burn. So there, there's a nice interplay between those types of effects. Um, should we hit on the locations and then maybe we can talk about some of the other uses for influence? Yeah. Yeah. You want to lay the locations on us since you sure. started to a minute ago. So we, right. So, uh, I mentioned the Stormland fiefdoms. I mentioned the narrow sea. I mentioned the King Robert's chambers. 
to round out the economy. We have three Aegon's Gardens and three Seat of Power. Um, so it is worth noting that that is nine limited cards uh, in the uh, in the location base. And then three Smuggler's Cove uh, and three of the Barra Iron Throne, uh, the non-Shadows version that lets thank you automatically win dominance. Uh, thank as long goodness as it wasn't the Shadows. Yeah. That may, be, that, that may be the worst card ever printed. Uh, it's in the running. <laughs> it's in the running with, uh, with that as beard, I guess. It doesn't do all that much. Um, so uh, you, you do have those nine limited cards. Uh, so I guess in, in, in building something out of this, you have to be a little bit careful um, with what kind of resources you include. You're, maybe you're not going both for influence and for gold all the way along with your seats of power, which you're almost certainly including. Um, but uh, putting that influence in does allow for uh, for some... There's some nice effects out of Barry you don't necessarily see every day uh, up in the character base, uh, particularly uh, Sir Parman Crane uh, and Renly. The core set Renly both use influence uh, and aren't, aren't cards that we currently see very much in the in the current constructed environment. Yeah, I think that would shake things up nicely. And, and I like the idea of... More houses having a, a reason to run some uh, some influency builds, and because there's the the temptation in a reboot or refresh to really just pull things down to just Targ and Martell caring about influence. So I I, I like making sure that Baratheon has some option to use it if it wants to. Well, so uh, we did give Barris some influence. We did give them Parman Crane. To uh, save lords, I actually have to admit I'm not 100% sure what that card does anymore. Yeah. Uh, Neilan influence to save a lord? Yes, yeah. He, uh-huh. uh, he saves, uh, well, actually, he gives the lords that ability themselves. Oh, is, oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, which is lord, lord, lord's gain. Kind of wonky, but uh, yeah, and we don't have that many lords in the final uh, rendition, but the ones you do have, you're going to want to keep. And he just he spreads out a little more. Uh, Influence love. Sure. And, uh, and Renly obviously, uh, stands, uh, with the influence. So, you know, definitely, uh, definitely a starting point. And if, if that's the direction they wanted to go, I would love to see, uh, you know, some more of those kind of Barra themes supported with influence. Uh, do you want to hit the rest of the characters? Okay. So the rest of the characters, uh, bring us to Acolyte of the Flame, Brightwater Man at Arms, Dale Seaworth, Knight of Flowers, Maria Seaworth, uh, Melisandre, and it's probably worth pointing out, uh, this is the unopposed Melisandre in the end. Oh, and the Knight of Flowers was the No Shadows Knight of Flowers. River Runner, Royal Entourage, Stannis the Manus, that is the, uh, the King Stannis from Valor Margolis, uh, Vanguard Lancer, Watcher of the Nightfire, Renly Baratheon, a shy initiate, Sir Parman Crane, as we mentioned, and to round out our night base a little bit, Hedge Knight. Yep. Uh, that leaves us with, uh, let's see, that leaves us with, I, th- I think, four different night options at 3x each. Um, let's see. The Hedge Knight, the Knight of Flowers, Parman Crane, and the Watcher are all knights. Is the Vanguard Lancer a knight as well? Um, Vanguard Lancer is indeed. Five knights, yeah. five, five different knight options, potentially three x each, uh, and it also gives us enough room to to experiment with the holy, 
we have the Acolyte of the Flame, we have the Mel uh, that have the printed Holy Crests, and when we get into Attachments, which is the last card type we haven't talked about yet, we are including 3x Fanatic, uh, which will which will give Holy Crests to any character that can take an attachment. Yep. Um, which I think seems solid, and of course it it also sets up in this hypothetical world, um, Noble Cause would still be available as being from the last couple sets. So uh, setting up some of this holy stuff and the two copies of Power of Faith, I think, seeds uh, for that build nicely. The last attachment, uh, uh, and I think the last card we haven't mentioned yet is Motley. You, you want to talk a little bit about uh, your love for that card? Yeah, well, Motley is just another uh, another pet card of mine. I, I've really been coming back around on it. Uh, I've been playing it uh, again in uh, my version of that brand deck, which is, I'm sure, going, going to be retired when uh, this FAQ lands on us sometime soon. I sure do hope so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it, I think Motley is just kind of an an underrated uh, control card out of Baratheon because <laughs> folks just are still not used to them doing that control thing. And even though Motley is from the core set, uh, it just gets overlooked. And uh, that, that gold tax uh, turn after turn really hampers people. And, you know, let alone if you drop that on a character after they've already spent all their gold and... They're down and out for a turn. Um, I just, I, I really like the utility there, and if you're dropping that on a character that wants to use its ability every turn, um, heck, say, you know, the the new prize Danny is the hotness now. <laughs> sure, Targ can probably take out an attachment fairly quickly, but if they're trying to abuse her in two power challenges and maybe an intrigue a turn, and you've dropped a Motley on her, uh, suddenly it's awfully that, expensive, right? So I mean, even just the uh, you know the 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 princes of the sun, Red Viper. Uh, he's not going to kneel. You want to attack me? All right. Well, you're going to pay each time. You have you, you have the money. Yeah, exactly. Can <laughs> can you afford to spend three gold every turn to attack me and bounce your nobles to your hand for your guest in gray? Uh, that that really starts adding up. Definitely, definitely is a card that you feel like should see more play. Sandy plays it a lot. Mm-hmm. Sandy likes that card, but outside of him, I don't see it all that much. Well, there you have it. That's Baratheon. Uh, definitely went through some revisions and tweaks, but in the end, I'm I'm pretty happy with what uh, what we put in there. Yeah, I think it ended up. I think it ended up pretty good. I think uh, in the reprint packs, I would hope we would hit um, some more holy characters, the Zealot of the Light, maybe the. Um, uh, Oh, well, what's the one called? The, the 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 one who gains vigilant in melee but has stealth. The Dragonstone Convert. Dragonstone Convert, uh, um, I think, is definitely worth it. Uh, to kind of round out that holy theme, uh, and the new Mel still will be legal for a little while. If you wanted to really push holy, holy mm-hmm. hard uh, with the dominance, and you have the Iron Throne still. Um, holy yeah. decks are fun. I, I I feel like one of these days someone's going to come up with with the right combination of cards, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, um, I, I really it, dig the holy it, stuff it's, too. It, it, it's one of those one of those archetypes that you just t- kind of turn back to every couple of months and say say it's there. I see it, but I, I can't put the pieces together. And I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> well, um, you know, there's a couple other things that I'd like to see. Speaking of pieces, I'd like to see a little bit uh, more shadows tech uh, available for 
uh, Baratheon going ahead here. So I think I would definitely want to see Black Cells and Marjorie Tyrell. Sure. Uh, they get they give some other solid control options for Baratheon, uh, so that people could explore that uh, that type of thing. And spoiler alert: other houses on down the line are gonna like Shadows. Uh, hopefully next week, unless we have an FAQ to spend a bunch of time on. Um, so that w- that would give them some options to play around with as well. And Marjorie will be another lady from the royal entourage. That'd be nice. Indeed. All right. You want to move over to Targ? I think so. That sends us to uh, Dave's House Du Jour. And this one uh, this one went through a lot of revisions in and out of the out of that deck, it feels like. Especially that character base and the plot. I, I, I did feel bad. You, you invited me on, and then I said, well, I kind of want to change all the characters. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's I think change all the characters. We only changed about half. But, I mean, you know, you had, you had good reasons for all of them. You backed it up with... With legitimate uh, reasoning, so I do like how it came out. I think I think it would be a fun a, a fun mix of cards to play with. Um, so the, the agenda we included is actually an agenda that I I, I don't particularly like, uh, but is uh, ha, has has definitely come back as a hotness now as heir to the Iron Throne. Um, and my dislike for it is nothing it has nothing to do with with quality. It, it, it's really only play style. I actually use Heir to the Iron Throne as an example of, uh, I think, a very well-balanced agenda when, I, when I'm explaining uh, to new players uh, how agendas often, sometimes, nowadays less so, uh, have, you know, they give you something, but they take something away from you. Uh, of course, it gives you the extra power challenge, but it takes away one of your other challenge types. Um, and uh, with a lot of the new cards that have been coming out, and the themes that FFG has been pushing for Targ, they want Targ to have that power-centric rush build, uh, and Air is a Air is a great way to uh, to go after that if that's your cup of tea. Yeah, and of course, you know, there's just that huge Nedley factor, which really uh, I think helps sell it for me. You know, people just uh, who are familiar with the the books or the show are just going to look at that and and I think be really excited about it. Uh, if, if I can ask you a historical question about this card, uh, if you know, uh, did, w- w- was this supposed to be House Targ only all along? I know it was errated before that was actually released, um, but was, uh, was, did, did we know if that was the intention or if it was kind of an oversight yeah. when they if, realized if, that Barrett was going to go nuts? If I remember correctly, they said in the, uh, in the announcement that it was an oversight and a typo, and we've... We've definitely seen that happen with cards before where something important was left off accidentally. All right. This was my own curiosity. Yep. Um, Go for it. So next up uh, are the plots here, and these went through some major revisions. They did. Um, Yeah, and uh, I, I wanted to go ahead and work in... Uh, just a bare handful of river plots and be pretty selective about what we chose and what would still be available in, in the last couple chapter pack cycles and stuff. And uh, I think, Dave, you were mostly on board with me for that, but uh, Aaron argued pretty heavily against it. I'd call it a hissy fit, but yeah. uh, I, I guess if you wanted to be nice, we can... <laughs> 
Uh, I love Aaron. I have to I have to rat, rip on him because he's not here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Aaron, Aaron was fairly adamant that uh, that crossing the Mummers Ford is is the most broken thing in the history of broken things, uh, and it just uh, it, being able to uh, abuse that with other rivers that include uh, shores of Nysar for for even more card advantage. E- even if you, his argument was that even if you eliminate uh, Bridge of Dreams, the ability to get on the first four rounds, one, one, two, three cards uh, for nothing um, uh, is it, just uh, nothing except for plot slots. Except for plot slots, but uh, if card advantage equals winning, and, and and I think we've all seen that it does, um, it's uh, it, it, it seems like a, like a reasonable price to pay. Yeah, yeah, it, so. it definitely didn't seem unreasonable to pay it, but it didn't seem unreasonable to include it at the time, but. Uh, you, you know, we wound up in the end pulling them and tweaking some other stuff, and it and it that did give us the room to throw in uh, a couple other plots that uh, I think were good additions to have available. I agree. So we wound up then with Mad King's Legacy, The Aftermath, Threat from the North, War of Attrition, uh, Desolate Passage, Dry Season, Stave Execution, Twist of Fate, and An Empty Throne, and Astute listeners will note Valor Mogolis is not one of those plots. Uh, shortly after I said we'd made the decision that all of the decks would have Valor in them, um, I wouldn't be a designer, so to speak, if I wasn't willing to break some of my own rules for <laughs> the right reasons. Uh, and I feel like going with the two partial uh, resets like this uh, for Targaryen uh, feels right and offers a little better variety. I, th- I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I mean, Targburn, more than anything else, can can be a control deck that gets away with not running Valor if it's running, you know, both Twist and Threat, or if other cards are available, things like First Snow. Uh, and an air deck might not want to reset. It might want to. It might want to have cards that are going to push it harder. Um, and uh, and it might not want that full reset anyway. So I, I think if you're going to put it in one house without a Valor, I think Targ's a decent choice. Yeah. And of course, there's a little love there, uh, even for the Heir to the Iron Throne deck with uh, the Empty Throne and uh, Stay of Execution and such. So it, it works out nicely. War of Attrition is a card that I've not uh, I've not seen played in a long time. Uh, do people play that out in Missouri? Um, you know, I haven't seen it for a long time either. I uh, it's it was there in my first pull just to. to uh, you know, bring a, a little bit more variety to the available plots, see if we get a little more play. And, of course, to, to pair with one of our events, no surprise, I think, to most folks, Ambush from the Plains. Right. At 281, the eight's a great stat for you. Uh, two gold doesn't hurt quite as well if you have a good influence base, which we did give to Targ. Uh, it, it's certainly a plot I've played around before. I, I think I was trying it in an HOD Aegon Till deck for a while. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but uh, it, it, it eventually got cut. But it was, you know, it, it's fun to look back at cards you've kind of passed over. Yeah, and I like some of these kind of sideways ways to uh, generate card advantage for houses, particularly like yep. uh, Targaryen, who I, I don't want to just have straight up draw. Um, and I, I think War of Attrition gives you some potential uh, there without treading on the the draw toes. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, with the effect, it feels like it should see more play. You jump attack with a guy, and okay, well, you, you know, you could lose the challenge, or you could lose the card. <laughs> right. You know, anytime you can force your opponent to make a choice, you're, you're probably doing something right, because there's a chance his choice is going to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Most of um, the time, I, any way you cut it, War of Attrition is a two-card swing in your favor, right? A military claim and an intrigue claim, or two War of Attrition triggers, or yep. you know, mix and match that however you want. So maybe it's just the two rolls that's been keeping people away all this time. I think so. Um, I like Twist of Fate out of Targ. I think that uh, you know it's certainly a risky, a risky play given the given the downside. Um, but houses like Targ and also Lannister and Martell, who can who control those challenges, uh, may be able to look at their hands and say, okay, this is the turn I can play it with kind of minimal damage, unless you know my opponent has X, Y, and Z that I'm not anticipating. Um, but uh, it, you know it, it, it uh, well. When we cut Crossley Ruby Ford, uh, I feel like it was a good way to reintroduce a, a high goal plot back into uh, into the plot deck. Yeah, agreed. Well, uh, maybe that sends us on to uh, events. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you want to throw those on us, Dave? So we picked Ambush from the Plains uh, to go along with some of our high initiative plots. Uh, Forever Burning, uh, a great staple burn card. One of my favorite burn events, Pyrophobia. Um, uh, that is the event where after a character's strength is reduced to two or lower, uh, return that character and all attachments to their owner's hands. Yeah. And that was a, that was a last minute tweak right before we started recording that, uh, you know, once Dave brought it up, I was really pretty happy with, uh, I, I know I panned the card when it was first released, uh, but it, it's definitely grown on me over the years and, uh, it offers some some neat combo uh, potential here, uh, like Dave pointed out. Especially, I guess that leads us right into the attachments. Um, yeah. But, uh, the attachments we picked were three Flame Kiss and three Harried by Dragons. And Harried, uh, actually, both of those attachments work the same way. But Harried by Dragons is probably a little more um, a little more likely because it's not terminal. Uh, if you drop in Harried by Dragons uh, on a three strength character, reduced to two, then Pyrophobia. You bounce the character, but you also get your Harry by Dragons back, uh, which you can then ambush in again or, or marshal during the next marshaling phase. Uh, so it's a good way to uh, to almost turn turn Harry by Dragons into a forever burning in that it's that one-point burn that you can recycle. Right. Well, and, you know, speaking of that ambush, uh, that reminds me, you know, one of our other goals here in this refresh was to make attachments more playable. And both of the attachments that we chose have ambush, which ups their flexibility uh, quite a bit, you know, essentially turning them into events, but uh, they technically have that that chainmail border. Events that can't be canceled in this uh, in this Hall environment. Right. And uh, here by the Dragons, uh, of course, also has that kind of sideways card advantage that I like by uh, searching up more copies of itself. You can argue whether Harried is worth a whole card, you know, by itself as a single copy, but being able to potentially thin all three of them out of your deck and, and have those cards available is solid. I agree. Uh, well, maybe that rounds us on over to locations, because they're extremely straightforward. Yep. Uh, we're looking at three Eastern Fiefdoms, three Great Pyramid of Marine, Drogo's Tent, Maraxes, Summer Sea, Temple of the Graces, Kingsroad Fiefdom, and as we mentioned before, 
the red keep. So influence, 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 more influence, little gold and some draw. Yes. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. uh, we, uh, we stayed away from, uh, we stayed away from the marine tourney grounds. Uh, we stayed away from things like the, the fighting pits, uh, and some of those more dynamic, uh, very, very potent one cost locations that Targ had, um, just to, to shore up the resource base and, and Maraxis for that draw to let Targ's, uh, you know, attachments and characters shine. And I, I think that's a good call for a box like this. Agreed. And that, and that definitely helps play up, uh, Targ a little bit more as the attachment leaning house. We don't have too much else that, that really plays into that particular theme. So some of the reprints would definitely need to help that out, but, uh, it's a starting place. Sure. Well, why don't you lay the characters on us then, Dave? All right, so for the characters, uh, we went with, um, went with Daenerys Targaryen, uh, the Queen of Dragons version, uh, and then three big dragons, uh, the Viserion from the Queen of Dragons box, the Rhaegal from the Queen of Dragons box, and the Corset Drogon, um, but all, uh, all big four-cost dragons. And then we have the Dothraki Outrider, the Dragon Thief, the House Targaryen Loyalist, the Jogo from uh, Snakes and Sands, the one that draws you for other Dothraki. Corset Caldrogo, the Jumper. King's Landing Assassin. Shadow Parasite, the Shadow Seer. Uh, the True Queen's Harbinger and the Warlock of Quarth. Karth. Yeah. You um, know, um, one thing I did just want to throw out, uh, you reading Drogo, or sorry, Drogon off, reminded me that we didn't really bring up uh, one of the other goals with Burn was to bring it, by and large, back to uh, terminal effects that care about whether there are attachments on characters or not. That's right. We, we, we have the, the King's Landing Assassin. We have Flame Kissed. Uh, are those the only two? Yeah, those are our yep. only terminal. Those are our uh, terminal effects. Uh, both of which uh, require that the, that the target not have other attachments. Uh, we specifically excluded Dragon Skull, we specifically excluded Incinerate, we specifically excluded Magister Illyrio, um, but Corset Drogon did slip in. Uh, how do you feel about that? I, I still feel good about it uh, overall. I like having the little bit of variety between him and the old uh, Queen of Dragons. Uh, dragons. <laughs> yep. Um, just to, to shake that up. And the, the cost... Uh, of that ability, I think, is big enough. I mean, the any phase is a nice flexibility, but paying two gold uh, for only a minus minus one that's limited once per phase, I I think you really have to pump a lot into that. Yeah, uh, and you're paying four for the character to begin with, and and, and you can't ambush him. He doesn't have uh, he doesn't have ambush. Right. So it, it felt like a worthwhile trade to throw in. A little bit of something else uh, to make something like Harried uh, or Forever Burning uh, be terminal in the end. Sure. Um, we did include a good amount of, uh, of Shadows cards. You have the Red Keep, you have the Warlock of Quarth, you have the King's Landing Assassin, um, uh, all in this box. So the, uh, the Shadow Seer should help, um, help with the cost a little bit there. Uh, and uh, the Shadow Parasite uh, will play off the burn effects we do have. Uh, to uh, you know, get big every now and then, right? And you know, and I like the inclusion of the shadow parasite here. And jumping ahead to things I would uh, or perhaps would not like to see in in a reprint pack, 
Uh, for Targ, I would like to see them not get the refugees and leave them with the Shadow Parasite as their zero-drop character. Um, because I, th- I think it's still a reasonable character, definitely, but it, it gets us out of just having this same vanilla cycle of zero drops for every house. Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think I spoke to Aaron about this a little bit. I, I, I hate the refugees. Um, Thank you. Uh, I, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing all of them go and just replace them with, with some more dynamic zero cost cards. You know, uh, Lannister recently got Gregor's dogs, which, you know, aren't all that great sitting at zero strength to begin with, but can get big. Uh, Martell obviously is restricted, but it does have its orphans. Uh, Targ has, uh, we see two of them in this box, the Shadow Seer and the True King's Harbinger. They also have, um, they also have that zero cost, uh, Disrupted Mercenary. Oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't which, seen uh, him in a while. I played around with him for a while using a, a Dragon Egg deck. Uh, the oh. one cost it gives. So you play first snow and all your dudes bounce and then Illyrio's on the table and you throw all your, your zero cost dudes back down and you burn all their stuff. Cool. Uh, it was kind of, it didn't work very well, but it was fun in, in theory. Um, but you, you know, they've, you've shown that you can create a zero cost character that, that does something that isn't just a zero for two, like every other zero for two in all the other houses. Yeah, exactly. I would, uh, I know you guys talked last week about keeping some of them and ditching others. I I would, I would ditch them all. Yeah. Which which was my initial (laughs) plan. Aaron really wanted to keep them around. So I think we kind of, kind of settled in the end that some I, I think I did get him all. to agree that if they print other zero cost characters for other houses that the existing refugees could go yeah yeah I think I could definitely agree with that and uh, let's see what else you know we kind of kind of round things out with a little bit of love uh, for Heir to the Iron Throne right out of the bat with the Loyalist and the Outrider uh, potentially getting uh, getting you some extra power on those challenges uh, we had to we wound up swapping Drogo uh, at your urging, and I agree it was a good I- good idea. I'd first had the the power challenge kill, but uh, the the jumping Drogo is much more evocative of of Targ as a whole, I think. And I know that I know that the that that the renowned kill Drogo is uh, is can be a really big thing in air. One thing that always bugged me about that card though is just kind of the tension with Jogo. That Drogo wants to be doing a power challenge, but Jogo wants Dothraki with him in the military challenge. Mm-hmm. And since we had Jogo, uh, it, ju- it just seemed like those two just, just didn't play well together. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing I did want to highlight there. Uh, it's fairly light on attachment control here, I think, uh, for Targ, uh, which is probably not too surprising One with us wanting to reinforce attachments, but we stuck with the Dragon Thief, who does offer some protection to unique attachments, so there's still some love there. And they do get Mad King's Legacy, but I think that's appropriate to, to still cement that as a Targ uh, strength. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think the inclusion of Mad King's Legacy is right. I think that'll give Targ uh, the on-demand if, they have, if there's something it just needs to deal with. Uh, and, uh, you know, don't forget, uh, the, the new Viserys is, uh, is still new enough to be around. Right. Um, did we talk about, uh, the, uh, the Miranese brothel for a reprint pack? I don't, I don't remember. Um, you know, I don't think we had kicked it around, but I think that is something, um, that I'd be willing to, to consider. I like it. Um, you know, it, it really makes you a choice. It really forces you to make a choice in the very, very crowded, 
one cost utility location slot, whether you're going to quote unquote waste a spot on attachment removal. Um, you know, and depending on kind of where the meta's at, it can be, it can be a legitimate choice, uh, that, you know, we're seeing all these warden attachments, for example, uh, that are prized, or you're starting to see some of the new unique weapon attachments, and you don't want to give a plot space to Mad King's Legacy. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's a legitimate trade-off, uh, for, for other locations of its cost. Is there anything else in particular, uh, you would really want to see in, in, uh, the reprint packs? I'm not as, uh, uh, up on Targ stuff, so my preferences are probably kind of, kind of different from some of the others. I would definitely um, like to see, uh, one of the, Dothraki horde characters stick around for sure. Uh, sure. Uh, I like the Dothraki guys. You're, you're talking not about Drogo's word, I assume, but about one of the, the one of the newer braided screamer or vanguard characters. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know it's nice to give Targ that kind of aggro, but not rushy aggro build. Uh, it's suffering a lot with aftermath in the environment. Um. Uh. So. With aftermath hanging around the core set, you know, a Dothraki deck like that might have a tough time uh, in this kind of environment. Um, but uh, but those are certainly fun cards to play with. Uh, one card that that I would like to see come back, and I don't know how controversial this would be. Uh, I think uh, I think we've set it up well for the Dragon Pit, and I think Dragon Pit is an important card, not only for Targ, but more so than for Targ for the meta as a whole. I think when the meta is in a is in an aggro centric environment where there are lots of characters and lots of decks are are running around with strong three strength characters with strong abilities, the threat of no pun intended burn um, uh, is important to keep the meta in check. Uh, a good burn deck floating around kind of in the ether will rein in aggro. I think an appropriate amount. Um, so I. I would advocate for Dragon Pit continuing to exist. Yeah, um, I think I can really uh, get behind that as well. Like I said, I just I love shadows, and uh, that that gives people an option for a you know a strong uh, build to be centered actually around that uh, that concept. So I'm all on board. I'm glad to see things like Summer go. Uh, I. Um I don't know if it was a conscious choice to not uh, to not look back at the summer stuff. Tarek has a lot of summer stuff, but uh, you know, it actually was. We we kind of kicked that around a little bit before uh, getting you into the email chain. Uh, of course, James uh, Wama had brought up uh, some concerned concerns about the seasons, um, and in the end, you know, we thought it was actually kind of fitting from a Nedley sense to give Stark a bit of winter tech and. No one else seasonal tech, uh, so the the winter or nothing autumn perhaps you might say yeah. uh, are the only seasons in the game. Uh, is that including no way to get rid of um, to get rid of winter? Well, we didn't. Or carry we didn't embrace go with the, back somewhere. We didn't go with the the white raven. We went with the crown of winter. Oh, oh, that's right, that's right. So sure, yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think that, I think that's certainly appropriate. Winter, winter is coming, winter is come, and summer is, summer is far off. Whenever, whenever, whenever George writes book seven, maybe we'll see summer again. <laughs> if he writes if. book seven, <laughs> I mean. 
Well, we finally saw the Wheel of Time finished, albeit by a different author. So I have faith. I have faith that someday. Yeah. When Sanderson gets a hold of it. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I think uh, that's a pretty good uh, discussion on the the refresh uh, progress uh, this week. If you have any other uh, comments uh, or questions or anything, feel free to email us, guys. Twochampsonechump at gmail.com, of course. Or uh, drop us a line on the uh, comment thread on CardGameDB. Is Google Plus still a thing? Google Plus, I hear, is still a thing. Uh, I never get a no- notification that anybody is posting to our Google Plus, though. So, Sad face. How weird is that? So, props and slops? Props and slops. I've, I've never got to do these. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> did, did you have something uh, in particular you really wanted to jump on then? Sure. Uh, I am going to, I, I'm going to prop my wife, Amy, uh, because this weekend she is coming down with me to Washington, D.C., uh, for Thrones Toberfest, uh, the second annual in our kind of Northeast corridor traveling tournament. Uh, and, uh, I'm thrilled she's coming with me. Uh, you know, since we got into the game together, uh, I have given it a lot more time than she has. Uh, I, I have more time to give it. Uh, and, um, you know, I've gotten into the competitive scene, uh, and she's there, but I still love playing with her. Uh, and, uh, I love that she still wants to play. We, we built her a, a Barra deck together, uh, awesome. that she's super excited about. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited she's coming down to DC with me. Hey, yeah, that, that's definitely a big prop. Um, in a similar vein, I, I'll definitely throw out a prop to, uh, to Kristen, who uh, is planning on playing in the, in the Red Wedding tournament. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, uh, I mean, she wound up with a better record than me at Gen Con this year. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you not catch that? No, I, I have not. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She uh, she wound up finishing uh, three three, I think, in the end to my two four. Wow. Now, though, I did drop the last round, but yeah, that doesn't really help me too much in my uh, argument there. Was that eleven year old girl back? The one uh, who was there last year. You know, I did not see her around uh, this year, or uh, her dad, who I think I would have recognized still. That's too bad. I, I heard I heard she was actually a very good player and almost beat Kyle Spazinski. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely heard some good things about her, and I want to say uh, her. She had a brother there as well. I think I think it was a a father and then his son and daughter that were all playing. Mm. Well, it's too bad you didn't see them back. Um. Uh. I have what well, uh, speaking of speaking of fantasy literature, I think given my memory of previous props slops, this may be an unpopular slop, but I th- I think I have to slop the uh, the name of the wind. Um, wow. I uh, I read it once. I remember thinking it was okay. Uh, I started to pick up Wise Man's Fear. Uh, I couldn't really get into it, so I figured I'd go back. I just I'd reread Name of the Wind. I and I, I love rereading books. Uh, I, I have some friends who who mock me for that. Just read something new, but you know I've 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 ripped through all the Ice and Fire books probably four times. I, I've read some of the Wheel of Time books upwards of six times, uh, and I've been struggling to get back through Name of the Wind. Uh, uh, 
and it's uh, it's difficult. Uh, I'm going to keep pushing because I feel like I want to give Wise Man's Fury a legitimate shot, but I, I'm I'm having trouble at the moment. Wow, I, that, I mean that's that's interesting because it seemed like such a uh, like fast and engaging uh, book to me, but you know, I feel just, like I feel like the issue I'm having now is is that you get into these these sequences where uh Quoth is having amazing things happen to him and then so fast it's the polar opposite and he's all the way down in the seventh circle of hell and then we're talking about the currency exchange in the world uh and cycling back kind of through those type of things and it's it, it's just it, it's very up and down uh and and it's just at the moment at least seeming a little uneven uh, and it's making me making me start and stop, and I'm having a little bit of trouble. Ah, uh, well, you know, I, actually, kind of speaking of, of some of that weirdness, I kind of want to throw out a slop to uh, something that's fairly popular as well. Um, but I'm going to jump ship over to uh, film, or well, okay, TV, because uh, I had really been enjoying Boardwalk Empire on HBO. Which is a, you know, mob show set in the 20s and 30s. Steve yep. Buscemi is the lead. Um, and the first couple seasons were great. I feel like the show lost something uh, after Jimmy died. But um, this is the last season, and they, they fast-forwarded uh, seven years, which was a pretty big gap compared to the earlier seasons. And... Uh, Everything just feels really disjointed this season. There are all these weird flashback scenes to mm. Nookie as a kid, and then Nookie as a very young man that I'm not really catching the point of yet. There's this side story of a character that I was really hoping was just gone, who's in a sanitarium now, um, and I just don't know what's going on. I it, it really feels to me like HBO told them, hey, we're done with the show, um, you've got a season to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, and they and the producers and, and writers and such went, well, crap, we had this planned out for five more seasons. How do we jam all this together and finish it in one? So um, I'm, I'm just not digging wow. this season at all. I had heard that uh, that something similar was actually partially responsible for the large, the long gap between Storm of Swords and Feast for Crows, uh, that Martin Martin began writing Feast for Crows uh, five years after the end of Storm of Swords, uh, with these kind of interwoven backstories, kind of what you were just talking about. The, you know, the kids were all five years older, uh, and after writing, you know, 500, uh, 500 pages or so, uh, half a book's worth, just just realized it wasn't it wasn't going to work, and had to scrap the whole thing and start it again. Uh, you know, who knows if it's actually true. It may just be kind of one of those urban legends, but... Wow, yeah, I hadn't heard anything about that. Huh. And that was partially responsible for the uh, the kind of odd split you got between Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons, because when he went back to the drawing board, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't, just couldn't do it all at once. Gotcha. So. Huh. Um, what else you got? You know, actually, uh, this week, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, I'm going to need to catch up a little bit more on uh, the latest Sleepy Hollow, Gotham, all that sort of thing. Um, 
The Flash is premiering tonight, basically as we were recording this earlier, I believe. So I won't know uh, what I thought of that till next week. So a lot of my kind of pop culture references are on hold for now. I have one more. I have one more Thrones-related prop. Uh, this is a bit of a uh, a bit of a self plug, uh, but looking down the line, past worlds, uh, Thanksgiving weekends, the New York City Meta always throws its Black Friday tournament, and this year will actually be Black Friday number ten, uh, the tenth year that this tournament has been running. That's amazing. Uh, I did not realize it had been running steady that long. It has. To my knowledge, it is the is the longest-running, at least U.S.-based, kind of consecutive uh, same tournament run, same time, same, same, same bat time, same bat channel every year. Uh, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have some awesome, uh, some prizes. We have an artist doing some sick looking art of a dragon just laying waste to New York City, perched on top of the Empire State Building. Uh, stuff that, uh, that, that you'll get if you come on out. So Thanksgiving weekends, book your calendars, New York City. Uh, mark the date. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for, thanks for being on with us, Dave. I think it was a pretty awesome episode, all in all. So, uh. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, yeah. Uh, It'd be a pleasure to have you back on chat. again sometime. Anytime, my friends. Awesome. Danger Zone! See